Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. ISIS Shire Council CEO Steve Johnston was only five months into the job. One of the projects he inherited was the redevelopment of the Cultural Centre, about 100 metres walk from the palace. Yeah, well, the Cultural Centre itself, I don't know if you remember, wasn't actually finished. So we were in the middle of of expanding the Cultural Centre and building the library adjacent to it. It didn't have a certificate of occupancy from memory because we hadn't got to that, that final stage. So or operating in a building that wasn't, you know, completely kosher. But in times of crisis, brave decisions need to be made. And at short notice, the doors were opened to allow the backpackers in immediately after the fire. We wanted to create a situation where we didn't want the kids harassed. They were all in shock. Uh, They were all processing uh, what had just happened and, and their escape and trying to process the fact that some of their friends hadn't escaped from the hostel. And so we made that the sanctuary point. We put uh, security on there. Just a lot of hanging out and talking. And I remember, like, maybe a team of um, psychologists and stuff came from Brisbane. If you wanted to talk to them, you could. If you didn't, you didn't have to. People were um, organising tours for us. Just, I suppose, being together with all the survivors. It's like therapy just being with them, isn't it? You know, chatting about it and uh, no one wanted to leave each other. We all wanted to just be together. So that's what we did. The community was really good. Like it was really important after the fire to be around other people who had been in the fire so that you could just sort of, you know, everyone knew what you were going through and that was a good support network. And the community and everyone rallied together to provide food for us, clothes for us, new backpacks, whatever we needed. So it was really nice. Like the community was amazing and, you know, obviously like the fireys and and everyone involved just, yeah, everyone did an amazing job. It was good to see a community band together like that. Yeah, when we were in the community centre, people start coming in, you know, early in the morning and, the local people, they offered their help, you know, whatever they could do. That was quite heartwarming already. Uh, they started to talk to us. There were people with Dutch heritage who spoke Dutch to us uh, just to comfort us. They came by. That immediately felt really good. I don't know. It, it just happened. You know, uh, everything what happened there in the culture center, it just was a natural process almost that people were coming in and offered their help. I'm still, to this day, really grateful to the people of Childers. Uh, they they left their own homes uh, and children behind just so they could help a bunch of backpackers. Yeah, they really took you guys in, didn't they, and 
made you feel like you were their own children? Oh, yeah, more than that. It's hard to describe. It and it still makes me emotional thinking about it, that uh, what they did for us. Uh, I often said, like, if the fire would happen uh, in another town or, or in a bigger city than Childers, uh, we would never be taken care of that well as in Childers. They made that a real enclave. Um, that, to me, was an extraordinary part of the story, the fact that these locals just, they stepped up and they did whatever they could to make these people feel loved. But that in itself developed into a standoff of sorts with survivors and support volunteers on one side of security guards and the media on the other. Cameras fixed, filming anything that moved and following any backpacker that braved a stroll down the street. Pretty quickly, the backpackers had had enough. What really annoyed me at one stage is I was walking with someone and they were those type of people that is happy to do an interview at the drop of a hat, you know, or to talk to media or whatnot. So they started talking and it was just ridiculous. You can just imagine, like, just so many people, like news teams and everything there, and they just all crowded around me. Like, I'm a 17-year-old girl who's just been through hell I remember moving my hair and putting my arm up and someone put a microphone under my arm so they could get to this person and hear the story. And I just thought they were just so rude and disrespectful. And you know what? At a time when you need solitude and quietness and you can't even do anything without being swamped, I just thought it was just the height of insensitivity and rudeness. It didn't take long for people to get little tired of the media presence and the media focus, I guess. And as media are, as we all know, they love to hang on every single shred of information that is is being exposed. So consequently, you know, it went through a myriad of emotions, I guess, the town. Uh, and it was never really left at ease, you know. The media kept picking and picking and picking. Uh, until such time as, I guess, the um, palace was rebuilt, reopened, the memorial unveiled, and we were left to get on back on with our lives to some degree. To shield the survivors, Bill Trevor increased his own availability. Yeah, I remember saying at the time, if people were ever looking for the mayor, I said, just find the TV cameras, because he seemed to be perpetually in front of them. I'd done media training and I'd done one-on-one interviews, you know, as you said, with usually with local papers or with TV stations, but this was at a whole new level. And neither Bill or I had any experience at that level, but uh, I guess we, we acquired those skills pretty quickly. And I think Bill, you know, was a natural. I mean, he, as well as leading the community, he was, he was answering most of the questions, taking most of the heat from the media. Little did I understand, you know, how much media attention there would be. And at one stage, I think we had a couple of helicopters in the showgrounds. We had uh, news people from all around the world attending, uh, you know, from South China Post uh, and uh, all of the Australian television media, radio stations and, and that sort of thing. And they were all looking for a story. So if the kids wanted to go out and talk to the media, that was their democratic right and that happened. But the media couldn't go in there and harass them. And the same thing at night, we commandeered off the motels and uh, security there, and that was also a place at night that they went to. If they stepped outside and wanted to talk to someone, then they could. 
It was very clear from day one that Bill, as the mayor, was speaking on behalf of the community. And I think out of all the roles, his was the clearest. And he shouldered, you know, the, in my opinion, the heaviest load of that whole fire. But a number of councillors supported him really strongly because uh, clearly he was in high demand from the media. So there were other people needing to talk to councillors and get council to make decisions. There was never any pushback. You know, it was really interesting for me to see how clearly all those people came together as a team. And remembering that I'd only been there five months. So, you know, I didn't know a lot of people in the community. I didn't have, at that point, you know, the strong relationships with some of the councillors that developed after that. So, in a way, it was sort of a catalyst for me to, to actually, you know, understand a lot about that community. And what I, what I do understand, it was a very, a very positive response to a fairly terrible tragedy. It meant that while the immediate crisis response to the fire was being handled, council could also attend to other matters to protect the community and its people. I, as leader of the council, was going to do whatever was needed to do to make it as right as I could from a point of view of putting in place the proper memorial in protecting my town and in getting everything back to normal. That meant travelling overseas to meet and greet with parents, greeting parents and survivors as they came back to Childers, going through the memorial services. And it was a very emotional time. People say, don't get involved in the emotions of it. I defy anyone not to get involved in the emotions of it. Not every family came on the one day, so it strung out over a a number of months and years even uh, as individuals found the courage to come to Childers uh, for both the memorial service, the opening of the new memorial, then further down the track, the opening of the hostel back again. So in my mind, I said, look, I don't care what the cost is, I don't care whatever, I'm going to do whatever I can to make it right. There is a rather amusing postscript to that first trip abroad. With a few ideas for a memorial to discuss, Bill met with a group of survivors in Holland. We met in Utrecht with with the Van Velden family and also a number of the survivors, and uh, it was uh, just like your own kids coming home. They came through the door bearing presents, hugs, all those sort of things, and the prime reason to be there was to talk with them and families about what we intended to do about the memorial rebuild. And, uh, you know, you got to laugh sometimes. Uh, I'm talking to the Van Velden family, and it was quite a teary exercise at the time. And uh, my deputy who was with me said, oh, are you going to buy the kids a drink? I said, oh, yeah, look, I'll, I'll be an hour or two here with Barry and his parents and um, that. So uh, they're all over at the bar having a chat and having a few drinks. And uh, after about three hours, they said, oh, you're going to come for tea with us? And I said, yeah, I'll just finish with... Uh, the Van Velden family and uh, we did and, and they'd asked me was I talking to the English families and I said they hadn't asked to see me and they said oh they don't know you're here. So anyway they, they were talking to them and uh, made arrangements to catch up with some of them in England and uh, as I went to walk out the door the barman said sir sir you pay the bill you pay the bill and I thought oh yes I went over there thinking there'd be a hundred bucks or so uh, grog bill it was nearly a thousand dollar grog bill little buggers. <laughs> they'd had a good time on me. <laughs> Jokes aside, there was some serious work going on behind the scenes. Our focus changed pretty quickly to think we can't sit around waiting for the private sector to respond to this. We need to start negotiating with the owner to see what her plans are, to see whether there's any way we can acquire the site. So 
acquiring that building had some some challenges, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Um, the deputy mayor, Tony Riccardi, Bill and myself uh, flew to Brisbane to meet the owner. The owner lived in, uh, in Brisbane. We thought we had a handshake deal over dinner uh, to sell it to the council and uh, left that next day thinking that we could start to plan for what was going to happen with the surety that we'd have tenure of it. Uh, unfortunately, I think within a couple of weeks, um, she got a counteroffer, not a substantial amount higher, which was disappointing that she didn't even come back to us, and we got basically gazumped. And blindsided, it certainly threw plans for a memorial into disarray. Council had offered its owner, Patricia Wood, $75,000. It was sold to Sunshine Coast builder PJ Burns for twice the price without council being given the chance to make a counteroffer. And so Bill and I reached out to them to start to have some discussions with them, with the two brothers that were running the business. Uh, And they were reasonable guys to deal with. And we came to an arrangement where we'd acquire a portion of the building. So we effectively started titled it. So they retained ownership of the downstairs section and the the balance of the block running back. Uh, We got the upstairs section where the memorial now is and the downstairs section on the, on the southern end where the tourist office is. So, happy with that result? Wasn't, wasn't ideal, but it gave us an opportunity to at least move forward. And the second part of that deal was that uh, because they're a building construction company, that they wanted the rights to build the building, which um, we didn't have a problem with when we looked at, at their capability. We had some very definite plans that we wanted to put in place. Um, some people had said knock it down, our Main Street's heritage listed. We decided that would be like knocking your own front tooth out and it'd be there forever. So we decided to rebuild. Um, You've got to understand that the roof fell through onto the floor, which fell through onto the ground. So some of the brickwork was still okay. Uh, It had been very hot in there uh, and the temperatures and and that's why some of the kids hadn't been able to get out. But we decided to rebuild rather than plant a tree in a park somewhere was to have the memorial in the palace because that's where the tragedy had happened. But because the building had been heritage listed, it wasn't as simple as just reconstructing the palace. The Queensland Heritage Council oversaw every move from the timber flooring to the ceiling patterns and the wrought iron lacework on the balcony. It was to be recreated as close to the original 1902 design as possible. Was money easy to come across? How did you go about it? With the money and the governments were very supportive. I can remember being a few hundreds of thousands short, and I can remember approaching Nita Cunningham, who at the time was the local government minister for Queensland, and pointing out to her that there were some grants that she had the power to assist with. She said she'd look into it, and she ran back a couple of days later and she said she would be visiting Childers in the next couple of days. And I said to her, uh, Would it be appropriate for me to organise Channel 7? And then ABC and the news media, and she said she thought that might be most appropriate. She came and announced a further grant. We uh, were still several hundreds of thousands short in the final thing when uh, John Anderson, representing the federal government, uh, had to uh, come and open the memorial because John Howard, as Australian Prime Minister, was overseas. And I can remember we'd made a compassionate plea for one of the funds the federal government was administering and uh, we hadn't heard anything. And a few of my councillors and the CEO said to me, you know, what if we don't get it? What are we going to do, you know? And uh, 
I said, look, I think it's highly uh, likely that the acting Prime Minister is going to come to Childers to open the memorial and and say no in front of the world's media. And, uh, yeah, they came good, (laughs) which was fantastic for us. Did you get much pushback when it came to money? Like, I know that the council was united, but um, out in the community... Um, Look, there was a few people. There was uh, a local guy that told me at the time the council shouldn't be buying it, it should be a supermarket which I thought was an interesting response, uh, one that we obviously ignored. I, I don't ever remember too much pushback in terms of people saying we shouldn't acquire it. There was a bit of pushback when the cost of the memorials came out where people said, well, what are you doing for local kids that might have you know, died in a car accident or something? And I understand those sentiments, but they also had to realise that not only the number of people that died, but, of course, you know, the countries they were from, and none of them were in their hometown. So... There were voices, but it, it never sort of gelled into any sort of major issue. You as Prime Minister um, presided over a government which was very proactive and very supportive of that memorial. Why was it so important to, to support that initiative? It was in, in, important to demonstrate that it was not just a flash in the pan knee-jerk response to show sympathy for a tragedy, but to recognise that it was something because of what I call the, the tragedy of so many young people dying in horrific circumstances far from their homes. We wanted to uh, demonstrate that we did feel for them and that the community response had been deeply felt and very genuine. There were times when the ISIS Council had to come cap in hand and ask for a few more dollars and, and my feedback from them in recent times is that it wasn't even up for negotiation. You guys just complied and said, we need help. Well, we were very keen, because of the nature of the tragedy, we were very keen to be part of an appropriate commemoration. So too, the Queensland Government. Why was it so important to support that project? Well, so we should have, and we did what we should do. Uh, and I, I don't think we should be patted on the back for that at all. I mean... Bill Trevor and all those uh, efforts he made with with the local council to secure the building, to make sure that there was appropriate respect paid to those who'd lost their lives. Um, Government should have stamped up. That's what government should do. We were just doing our job. Uh, But again, the driving force, because it takes so long, securing the building, getting the money, all that sort of stuff, you needed someone on the ground who was going to drive that. And Bill Trevor had so much respect. When Bill Trevor rang up, people listened to Bill Trevor. They did. You see, the thing about him was he wasn't seen as some opportunist politician. He was seen as the community, and therefore what he asked for, he got. Now, that didn't mean it was easy. Everyone's got processes and systems, but that, I think, is is a tribute to him. We had to secure some large sums for the rebuild from both state and federal government, as well as council's contribution as well. And uh, I must say uh, the support we had from the Beattie and Howard governments in in achieving what I'm very proud of in the memorial rebuild uh, was magnificent. Uh, They went far beyond uh, what they had to. And uh, you hear people say about politicians, oh, they're only only there when the camera's on. Well, that's not true. And uh, I can vouch for the heartfelt support we had from both the Prime Minister and the Premier and their ministers and, and our local state politicians. But the support of my council, 100%, was something that enabled us to go through and do what we did. Funding secured, some original pieces of the wall were retained. So was the iconic stained glass window, which sat over the main entry door, which is remarkable in itself. 
You see, it was originally installed as part of the rebuild following that 1902 fire. And for almost a century, it had been celebrated for its bright panels and attention to detail surrounding the words Redmond's Palace Hotel. Somehow, apart from a few broken pieces and some cracks, it was mostly spared in the fire. Glass restoration experts reasoned that the slow cooling of the building in the hours after the blaze was largely responsible for the panels surviving the fire. So, seven years after they were first asked to conduct some running repairs to the window, the same Sunshine Coast company was back to restore one of the few remaining remnants of the palace's legacy. I personally love that that piece of glass has been retained and reinstalled. It's like a symbol of the fight, a mark of resilience and resistance. Still sitting there, still as colourful and vibrant as ever, still embracing its history well before the horror of June 2000. And it's almost taunting the man who lit the fire, pushing back almost, saying, really, is that all you've got? It's a reminder that in Childers, not even a pane of old glass can be broken or shattered by evil. Now, the demolition began in February 2002. The memorial opened in October. We didn't want to be remembered as the town that had just had the backpacker fire and ended up with this charred, burnt-out building there for, you know, for, for months or not, if not years. And it wasn't just a physical reminder that it, it could have happened, but we had to be really mindful that we had to rebuild the community, we, we had to move on. So that really became, I guess, my focus fairly quickly after the fire and probably remain so for the next for the next two years. There were obviously going to be impacts on the main street and people, you know, responded differently. In the subsequent months, I'd often get chipped as I walked down the street about how slowly things were going. Now, with the benefit of hindsight, 20 years later, I look back and I think, God, what we achieved between June 2000 and October 2002 was, was amazing in terms of being able to rebuild that building and put the memorial in there. And yet at the time when you're in the thick of it and people have been critical, you, you know, you sort of start to beat yourself up. The ISIS Shire Council, as it was known then, was disbanded in 2008 when a number of councils in Queensland underwent an amalgamation process. Childers became part of the Bundaberg Regional Council, which in late 2016 got a new CEO, Steve Johnston. I guess I feel a lot of ownership of that building and that memorial. I don't mean personal ownership, but I mean I'm I'm invested in it very heavily emotionally. I effectively came out at the tail end of that two and a half years when we opened it thinking, I don't really know what it's like to run the council because I was more like a project manager than, you know, the CEO of the council for that period of time. So then I thought, well, I need a couple of years now to run the council and, you know, probably change my whole career path, uh, certainly change me as a person. So to get the opportunity to come back now and still be involved is, is fantastic. I'm pleased with the way in which it's been managed. You know, it's, it was always designed to have a mix of the memorial but be an active art gallery space uh, with the tourist information section downstairs. They elected a new councillor that year too and made him Deputy Mayor, Councillor Bill Trevor. The palace is in good and familiar hands. I'm satisfied in my own mind that we did what was right. We did everything we could following the fire 
to make it as right as we could. Nothing's ever going to bring those kids back. But uh, we looked after the survivors, the parents, the grieving families as best we could. Well done, mate. Well done. Thanks, Paul. I think you should be really proud. I'm proud of this community. Mm. And thanks to the Bundaberg Regional Council for its support of this project. It was written and produced by me, Paul Cochran, edited, sound designed and composed by Zoltan Fecho. If you could do us a favour and tell at least one friend or family member about the podcast, that would be much appreciated. Stay listening. In the next episode, we'll discover how the memorial to the Palace 15 was put together and hear about the high emotion of the official unveiling. If you're near Childers or able to get yourself to this beautiful little country town just south of Bundaberg in Queensland, please do pop in to see the memorial for yourself and pay your respects. Thanks for tuning in. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.